0: to another episode of the M&A Mastermind Podcast. This is the place where we bring in experts to talk about ways in which you we can help you uh, level up your M&A practice. I am your host, Nick Olson, Managing Director of Cornerstone International Alliance. We are a consortium of high-level M&A firms who focus on the lower middle market. Um, here in this platform, we bring in guests like my guests today um, who are true masters of their crafts, who are experienced, knowledgeable, and gracious enough to share how they've succeeded in the world of m and We can bring their knowledge to you guys and hopefully you can gain some insights and some help in, in, in your own m and practice. So today's guest I'm really excited for. Um, he, is our, he was our first partner to join Cornerstone International Alliance from Canada. He has a true passion for MA and and the work he and his uh, team do for their clients. He started his own m and pra- practice at the early age of 38. He has rec- also recently launched his own podcast. Um, he grew up in a Mexican Mennonite community in Canada where he worked on the farm. His dad wanted him to be a construction worker. Um, somehow he made it to the world of M&A. We'll, we'll dive into that. Um, he enjoys uh, scotch, um, spends a lot of time with his family, and coaches his kids' soccer teams. I hear he's a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And my guest today is the founder of Portage M&A Advisory, Jim Friesen. Welcome to the M&A Mastermind Podcast. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Nick. Been looking forward to this. What's that? I've been really looking forward to this and I'm impressed with the amount of intel you have on me. Um, you probably even know my blood type based on,
0: uh, <laughs> Hey, gotta, gotta do, gotta, gotta do my, uh, my recount on, on all my guests. So, you know, I think it's important to, uh, to get some insights into, you know, you a personal level. And so I love the scotch thing. Uh, obviously I'm, I have young kids. I think we're probably pretty much pretty close in age and, you know, coaching kids is so much fun and you gotta, you gotta take that time for family and all that sort of fun stuff. And, you know, we're all pretty busy, but, uh, getting out on the on the on the field and coaching your kids is is always a great time
1: absolutely and i think you know we'll probably chat about this in a few minutes but one of the reasons i jumped into this space is you know it's just a good fit as a family person you know um work-life balance and that sort of thing and it just made sense to follow my passion in this way but yeah uh, yeah it's cool to be able to get out and coach the kids
0: how old are your kids again
1: Eight and four. So, two girls, I'm um, badly outnumbered. I'm um, the only male, <laughs> even the only female. So, um, yeah. there's a lot of chasing and hurting going on right now in my household.
0: Right. right. Yeah. My kids are 12, 12 and nine, a little bit older, one boy, one girl. And um, yeah, it's always fun to, whether you're coaching or sitting and watching them do their activities, it's a lot of fun. And uh, like you said, this industry, although we, we work a lot of hours and um, we work hard there is the autonomy to be able to go and check out a soccer game um, you know with our kids and family and so that's definitely a benefit to being in this space but um, you know I want to take a couple of steps back now I would love to hear about your background and did I read correctly that you received a degree um, in kinesiology
1: that that was the first degree that uh um, I achieved and it was my passion for sports, and I really wanted to pursue a career in coaching, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where it all started for me.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. You, know, you go from kinesiology, then you go into finance. I think um, how did how did that transit? Like you go to that to finance? Like why and how? <laughs> yeah,
1: you know it's a good question. I I think um you know growing up i played a lot of sports and i was fascinated with coaching and sports psychology and biomechanics and how bodies move and it was a fascination i had and when i went to university and started i really i really thought i may want one day to be a coach and wasn't 100% sure what to do but um i also was taking some business courses simultaneously i grew up in a family business so it's kind of following i would say my my existing passion Um, and eventually as I got closer to that fourth year, talking to more and more of the coaches at university, a lot of them suggested, Hey, you know what? You're better off following your business passion first and, and using coaching as, you know, a passion project later in life. And I thought long and hard about it. Business was also a passion of mine. So I pivoted, went into accounting and finance and, uh, completed the CPA. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I have a similar path. Um, You know, I was, I I enjoy sports. I do enjoy sports. I played, you know, sports all through college and whatnot. And I wanted to get into sports marketing. And so that was my path, kind of like yours with kinesiology. I just, you know, obviously there's a business component to that as well. But, um, you know, you think what you want to do in college and you fast forward, you know, almost 20 years now, um, which is crazy to think. Um, and what you, you know, what you end up doing is, uh, is, is vastly different, but you take all those things you've learned from your sports, you know, history, whether it's coaching or sports marketing or your playing years. And I think there's a lot of things that you learn there that you can really put into practice in your professional life. I mean, how has that helped you? Yeah, I think
1: you're absolutely right. Um, similar to you, I, I grew up playing ice hockey, indoor volleyball, beach volleyball, uh, and soccer. And even professionally, um, you know, when relocating to a different region, I was able to quickly network just through sport, right? I was able to yeah. join a men's league, play hockey, and it was amazing how many professionals I was able to meet. And And quite honestly, I think it fast-tracked my ability to really make connections in that area. And so as, as much as, you know, you would say, Hey, why'd you do kin? And was it a waste of time? I would say I, you learn a lot and you don't know how it's really going to help you down the road, but, but for me, it was highly advantageous in that, you know, I could bring sport to the table, connect with the community, meet lawyers, accountants, and other folks that were playing and eventually, you know, build a bit of a network. So, um, it's funny how things work out, but it worked to yeah. my advantage this time,
0: yeah. No doubt. Well, your daughters—I'll I'll watch them. Uh, you know, in 10, 12 years, when they play for the the Canadian uh, uh, national team, um, you know, with you as, as as their coach, leading them to that that path. That's that's your goal, right? Yeah,
1: I've got my uh, kids kids' uh, life mapped out, and I'm hoping I they can take me to retirement really, really soon. No,
0: I'm not sure. Yeah. If, yeah.
1: I'm not convinced either of them are, are going to take this sport path. You know, as much as I'm trying to influence <laughs> them, um, I think I think uh, coaching an eight year old in soccer is like herding sheep to a certain extent. I think if they can kick with both feet, I think I've done something right. So that's that's the level we're at, Nick.
0: We're not quite at the national level. Yeah, yet. there's still time for that. There's still time for that. Um, <laughs> uh, right. I understand you uh, talk about networking in sports. I think this is one way you do it. You play squash. Is that correct? You got it. And has that is, I mean, obviously you love playing. It's as good, um, but do you get a networking component out of that, that sport, playing that sport at, at this age?
1: No, it's interesting. You say, that. I mean, it's funny how my mind is wired in a way where I'm always trying to make connections, right? Right. Whether it's social or, or other. And when we moved to a new part of Ontario, um, one of the conditions was there has to be some form of athletics that I can be a part of. I'm just an active person, and I like to socialize that way. And there was a squash club uh, in our in Niagara, and I joined the squash club. And, you know, the next thing you know, I'm part of a league. And, you know, unbeknownst to me, there's a lot of business owners who play squash. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you've got your own micro... Um, microcosm of, of different business owners and different professionals. And, and you know, of course, people are asking you what you do and you're asking them what they do and you you look for opportunities to work together. And the next thing you know, you know, we've now got banners up in the squash club of Portage and it's been a really good recruitment tool for us, for students, because there's a lot of tournaments. And I never would have envisioned that this would evolve to the point where, you know, we're putting banners on a squash court and we've got co-op scooting students uh, scanning the the code and reaching out seeing if uh, we're hiring so it's funny how the evolution um takes shape over time but right. yeah it, it it again it worked
0: out to my advantage <laughs> you know i want to get into the into the students and the young talents you have because you've done a really good job there um but you talk about your squash club and networking and, and things like that you know and we and we recently just talked as a group uh, this past week about you know referral sources and how important those are to us and the different strategies and the different ways you network and create those you know those uh, connections and trust with referral sources whether it be you know attorneys or accountants or wealth you know wealth managers or whatever the case may be um, sounds like you found a unique way and through sport to be able to network with people that either you're going to work with directly or might refer you some business down the road.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I, I think, I think there's, everyone comes with a different flavor and passion, right? And I think you can use it to your advantage. Um, there's a unique connection of, of uh, between players who play the same sport. You know, if you're spending an hour with someone in a court and, and after the match, you sit down and you have a conversation, there's something unique to that, right? That you're connecting at a deeper level. Um uh, And, you know, at the same time, I'd say this sport is one where there's a lot of collaboration and, you know, it's very, it's very much, uh, you know, a game where you you can play as hard as hard as you possibly move in the court. And then once you get outside of that, you have a beer together and, Mm -hmm. and it's quite wonderful that way. And, you know, just sitting down, you get to meet people and say, Hey, what is it that you do? And, um. You know, you, you look for ways to help one another and it just slowly evolves one person at a time, one match at a time. Um, and sometimes you don't even talk about it. Sometimes it's just more about people getting to know you and it becomes relational. Um, and then I think just naturally as human beings, you say, hey, I really like that person. I really trust that person. You know, if I can help them or if there's a way where, you know, we can do business together, that's fantastic. And that, that's that's my general outlook. And You know, when you talk about the younger folks that join our firm, whether they're interns or or analysts, one of the things that we really try to impress upon them at an early age is, listen, you got to start thinking about, you know, relationships, building a network, um, understanding what the true business drivers are. It's very much relationship based. And the sooner you start building uh, a network, the, the sooner you build relationships with people who... Um, you can do business with back and forth. It's got to be mutual. The more powerful um, it becomes, and if you can do that at a young age and learn and grow with other individuals, you know that are you know likely the same age, um, there will come a time when it's 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 highly beneficial, and that's really what we're trying to do. It's not the Jim Friesen show. At the end of the day, it's about having networks within our network. It's it's with you know, each individual focusing on having their own centers of influence.
0: Yeah. And, you know, like I said, we just recently talked about that. And, you know, I was on a, a Zoom call the other day with a, a, a M&A firm looking to join our group. And, you know, I'm correlating as you're talking, like that is your, your squash club um, really correlates well with Cornerstone International Alliance from a perspective of you've got this network now of people who you can trust and work with and learn from. And, you know, if you weren't that person that wanted to connect with other people, you wanted to, you know, we say, you know, the problem that we fix and solve is isolation, like in this industry, you know, you can just be head down, focus on your firm and your group and getting your deals done. And when you look up, it's like, you know, I don't have a professional network within my space. And so being a part of a group like Cornerstone International Alliance really creates that for you naturally and organically. Plus, it gives you opportunity to you know kind of come up for air a little bit and then have a conversation with someone from a different firm that's doing what you're doing you know and and you can you know have a question or experience share or learning from them and so I think you know the power of networking and connection is huge I think that's you know would you would you agree that that's one of the th- reasons and benefits of, of you being a part of our group
1: hundred percent I, I, I really do believe that business is about, relationships it's about Mm -hmm. um, keeping your eyes wide open and understanding the opportunities around you you know things change every day and i think one of the one of the reasons that made me really excited about joining cornerstone is you know it's hard to have certain conversations with competitors you know who are in your geography right and and i'm part of a few business groups where, where we're very open and candid about you know you know, how to grow your business and this sort of thing. But you have to be careful, too, because you may be talking to a competitor. And what I really love about Cornerstone is you've got people across the globe. You've got you've got people in your country. They're not direct competitors, but they are people who are experiencing the same challenges that you're experiencing. They're they're thinking about the same things that you're thinking. And when you're trying to grow a firm, having a conversation about, hey, how are you growing your firm? How are you? How are you finding good folks? What does your business model look like? Um, are you having a tough year? You know Have interest rates affected your deal flow? These are things that keep us up at night. but having a, a an intelligent group that can sit down and you know have these, these discussions is just more valuable than anyone will ever realize and it has really shaped the way I built my firm because oftentimes you have an idea and you can go to a group of people and and they completely understand where you're coming from, because a lot of them have lived it, they've been through it, they provide guidance, and it accelerates decision-making. Um, and, and it becomes super, super powerful. And if you think about it, and you mentioned this, this term earlier, isolation, if I'm making, if I'm making decisions in isolation, um, I'm likely missing out on big opportunities. I'm, I'm missing out on seeing the big picture, my head's down, I'm doing deals. When you get your head up for air and you start talking to people, you tend to be more strategic. You tend to, you know, be a little more grounded in your decision making. And I think that's really what you know business owners need to succeed. They they need those other supports. They need other guidance. They need to be able to rebound information off of um, other folks who really get them. And that's that's what the association has really uh, provided me with. I would say.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And that's really the goal for me um, in in Cornerstone is to do exactly what you just said. Um, we want to bring great people together. Great things will happen. And, you know, that's what we witness, you know, every day, in my opinion. And, and we're such a connected group, a close group, and we all trust each other. So um, I love the, the fact that you talk about competition, and we don't have that within our group, which is one of the foundations of what we created was, was that we don't want a competitive you know, type of atmosphere within our group. And that's why this, this thing works.
1: Yeah. And I, and I would say too, you know, everyone who is part of the association um, really wants everyone to succeed. And we all believe there's lots of business. I think we're just trying to navigate this journey together. We're trying to figure out what the next big opportunity is. We're, we're talking about industries, we're talking about, you know, some challenges that we may want to look out for, you know, it's these sorts of conversations is really valuable. And I think if it were competitive, there wouldn't be, you know, as much information sharing um it wouldn't be as productive i mean you know this nick we talk about you know the crm and the tools we have in our toolbox we can talk about our engagement agreements and you know what sort of clauses are really important and relevant we talk about what profile of of people we need on our team we talk about you know the business structure the fee the fee structure that we charge all of these things um, are are really important to a business owner. And for me to be able to, you know, get an opinion from someone in Europe, in the UK, and see what their market can bear and, and what their deal structure is. And then talk to folks, numerous folks across the US and other folks in Canada. I mean, it gives me a good, good understanding of what's really going, going on in the world. And I think it has also made me realize there's a lot more consistency. There's a lot more best practices that are very consistent across the globe. Um, And sometimes you just need to be aware of what these best practices are. And that's, that's really what I've learned is sometimes you think you're doing the right thing and you realize other people are doing things differently and it's more effective and
0: you just got to take it. Yeah. Yeah. The information is shared and, you know, we say we're a non-judgmental zone and I think, you know, atmosphere and we think we really have that, you know, we just listen and learn and consume what we can and want and implement what makes sense for us at a high level. But, um, you know, you so you joined, you know, I want to get back to Portage and because you've done an amazing job, you know, you talked about growing your firm and um, others in our group. And we have a lot of different structures. I say this all the time. We have 26 firms currently and we're growing. You know, we have 26 ways of doing this thing, you know, running an m and practice. And so, you know, I find it um, you were one of the first firms that came on when I started with Cornerstone and our first member in Canada. Um, I think our second international member. And so, um, you know, when you, when you started way, you know, back when you joined, kind of paint the picture of from a, from a per person, you know, perspective and where you were um, from deal size. And I was like, when you started Portage, was it, how many years ago was it? Five or five six? Years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is, what is that? What does your firm look like when you founded it five years ago?
1: Well, I mean, it started with me having a conversation with my wife and saying, Hey, listen, I'm thinking of leaving, you know, a very stable job at a large accounting firm where, you know, I'm getting to the top and I'm making good money and there's lots of stability. And the conversation went something like this, you know, I'm following my passion and, you know, I really believe there's an opportunity. And she said, yeah, you want to sleep inside or outside, you know, that's kind of, you know, how it it played out. (laughs) Thankfully, uh, She left the door open and I could sleep inside. But, you know, there was a risk, right? There's a risk leaving a good stable opportunity. And what I was seeing, Nick, at the time was, you know, large accounting firms and investment banks were focusing on much larger businesses. And that's where all the attention was given. And the lower mid-market was being, in my opinion, neglected. And I was seeing a wave of people who who needed a way to get out of their business um, not get out of their business, but, you know, to have a successful retirement. And for, for many people, as you know, you know, most of their wealth is in their business. And if they have no exit option, you know, what, what do things look like? And I went through that on a personal level where, you know, my dad had family business. Um, we worked in the business growing up. I went off and did my thing my siblings went off and did their, their thing as well. The time came when he, he called me and said, listen, I have a medical issue and I can't continue operating, what do I do? And I was out Western Canada at the time, so I wasn't uh, near where my dad was located. And I called uh, some other folks in Toronto um, that were part of our firm and said, can you help? And they said, listen, your dad's, your dad's business is too small and we just can't help and i called around i did searching i did everything that you know most people would do to help their parent um talked to the accountant we we made a few phone calls but nothing came to fruition and i think through this process it made me realize you know there there's an opportunity to help people in a very meaningful way and it became my passion project. And I realized at that point that this is something I wanted to do. So the next hurdle was let's convince the wife that, you know, this is going to be financially feasible. Um, and then day one, you know, we're a startup, we're bootstrapping it, we're, we're trying to figure out why more firms aren't operating the lower mid-market. And, you know, it, it's trying to create stability, trying to understand um, really have a set of practices that a practice that, you know, um, is sustainable is going to continue to grow. So that, that was day one is very, it was a lean machine, I would say.
0: Yeah. You know And yeah, you say uh, definitely taking a leap of faith there for sure. And um, so you start Portage, um, you know, you had uh, correct me if I'm wrong when you started, did you have four people? It was less than that. I, I think,
1: Early on, it was myself and an uh, in in assistant. Um, and yeah. I was a practitioner, marketing person. They helped coordinate my calendar, et cetera. Um, I think on day one, I was adamant that I didn't want to create a firm that would be you know, all about me and my face all over everything. I wanted to make sure that it was scalable. And yeah. so I went in with the mindset that, we need to create infrastructure. I need to take some of these hats off and make sure that, you know, there's people behind me. I'm not the business. I mean, this is what we're preaching every day, right? We're helping people sell their businesses and we're saying, listen, let's create something that's saleable. And I went in with that mentality and said, I got to do the same. I got to practice what I preach. And that was my mentality.
0: So yeah, day one, it was, it was quite lean. It was just myself and another individual. Mm And so how, like how shortly after you started, did you, you start bringing, you know, you had a couple of people at the, at the early stages, how many, how long did that take you to get, bring in some more people?
1: Yeah, I, I think it, well, it took a couple of years to be honest, you, before I had the network in the lower mid market, figured out consistent deal flow, finally closing some deals, you know, um, saving a bit of money. You know, my wife early on thought I was running a not-for-profit. I assured her that eventually the, the funds would flow. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just how startups work. But, you know, it, it takes time. And I would say there's a constant evolution. And, you know, I, I, I was talking to a mentor of mine and, and they, they said, listen, now that you're on your feet and there are two of you, you know, there's what's called the valley of death. You've, you've kind of made it to that practitioner level. you got good business flow but now you need to reinvest and you need to bring people in so that it's more than just you. And you need someone who can help with the marketing and and the leads and you need to create a little more sophistication and, you know, evolve the brand. So, you know, the next, the next step was adding another, was adding an advisor. Three of us shortly after, you know, we added a couple more people as deal flow came in. Um, And, you know, there was just a consistent evolution to, you know, to where we are today, where, you know, we now have 10 people, we have a group that does valuation back office support, and we've got a dedicated ops person uh, and marketing person who's really focused on those key performance indicators, elevating the brand, making sure that, you know, we get some airtime with you, Um, you know, do you know, it's all those things that are important. But I, I would say I've been able to take off a few hats. I even have a, you know, I brought in a partner last year, and you know, the idea is really now to create a culture where people enjoy coming to work. They can see their cells being a partner down the road, and that's really what we're about now is trying to develop the youth and making sure that we have future leaders because I think that's how the firm needs to evolve. It needs to evolve internally, and if we're not taking the time to um, develop future leaders this
0: thing's likely not going to be saleable. Yeah, right. No, I, well, and I want to dive in a little deeper to that too. But, uh, you know, go back to the point where you, your mentor told you to reinvest back into the company. Like talk about your <laughs> how went with your wife. Uh, I can only imagine. that It's like, okay, now we're making money, but now uh, we're going to put it back in the business. Like how, how long did you have to like consider and think about that before you actually did that? Like what was going through your mind during that time?
1: No, it's a good question, and and to be quite honest with you, um, you know, I had a few, I had a few uh, experiences in life that I could use to to look and, and say, hey, what is what is what's life going to look like if I do this? What's yeah. life going to look like if you know I develop more of an accounting firm model where there's numerous partners and everyone's doing heavy lifting? And I think what I learned is, you know, being a solo practitioner, um, it's fun because you're that person you're the expert you've got people who are supporting you but you can only scale so far and i think what I, what i you know early on what i envisioned was helping helping more people and educating people as well right so it, it's beyond my capability so what i really wanted to do is is bring other people on board who would would want to learn the trade so to speak and i would transition my role into a coach, which, you know, talking earlier, you know, when I was taking that was my passion. So I knew that in some form I wanted to be a coach. I also knew that being, you know, a solo solo practitioner may check some of my boxes, but not all of them. And I also wanted to provide folks with an opportunity to have a great lifestyle. And it was scary. I'll be honest, you You know, you finally get to the point where you're generating decent money again and, um, you know, you've got good deal flow, and now you're taking, you know, some of the savings and you're throwing it right back into the company and, you know, you're investing in people before, you know, the cash flow comes back up. So it's a risk, but I think every business goes through it, right? We're helping business owners every day that have taken risk. And yeah, yeah I'm, I'm fortunate to have some really good mentors who said, yeah, you're going to go through the valley of death, but you're going to come up the other side and you're going to have infrastructure and um, there'll be some pain and suffering. But Overall, you will achieve the
0: objectives that you're looking to achieve, right yeah, absolutely. the valley of death, I chuckle at that uh, <laughs> It's a good analogy um, so yeah so you know you bring on a partner, um, you have some other you know deal makers and you know analysts and things like that. Uh, what did you when you were building your team like you said, you now have ten people you started with two you now have ten. Um, you know, what kind of people were you looking for to bring into your company? You know, obviously talent is important, but I'm sure culture plays a role in that. And just the personality type of people you wanted to work with. Um, so I guess what, what kind of person when you went through that process of hiring these individuals, were you looking for?
1: Yeah, we had a very, we we still have a very specific list of, uh, the attributes that, um, we're looking for it, and, and you're right i I mean it is a challenge because I, I find folks can come to the table and um maybe five or six you know the items will will check the box and you feel like they're a really good person, but you know there's a couple basic ones that you know were really important to us. one is do they really understand what business owners go through and can they empathize with the business owner and we really felt like that was important to us because the work that they do the work that we do, you know, is, is, is all about helping business owners exit. And if, if they're not truly passionate about, you know, the business in Canada and, and understanding the, the problem that many are facing, then, you know, I think the novelty will wear off. I think M&A and investment banking is, you know, kind of a buzzword and people get really excited to have an opportunity to work in that space. But at the end of the day, you're grinding it out, you're working hard. I think what what needs to get you up in the morning is the passion for what you do. So we were looking for people who genuinely either had an experience, had a family member who was part of the business, but really understood the challenges that many of these businesses, business owners face in the lower mid market. So I'd say that's the first thing. The second thing is kind of the the beer rule, which is if you can't sit down and have a conversation with the individual over a beer, they're probably not going to be a good fit for our culture. We're very collaborative, we're very open. We will sit around a boardroom and discuss uh, different engagements and say, is this a good fit for us? And we need everyone to have a voice. We're gonna be respectful of everyone at the table. But, you know, if someone doesn't fit that culture and doesn't feel like they're interested in, in contributing or, or being collaborative, it, it's just not gonna work. So, you know, that that's, I would say those are the two big pieces. Obviously, work ethic is important. Um, you know, when you get into the space, you mentioned earlier, there are a lot of hours, but when when you're following your passion, you're working to a common goal, you know, all of that other stuff goes away. And so, you know, we're looking for people who wanted to celebrate wins as a team and not necessarily work as individuals and people who also want to take the firm to a new level. So at the end of the day, it's, again, it's, you know, it's not about me. It's not about the other partner. It's about us helping people achieve, you know, their ambitions in life too. And if they if their goals are aligned, you know, with respect to what they want to achieve in the M and a world and they want to help business owners. Hey, we're all ears.
0: Yeah. That's very well said. And I'm going to use the beer rule in, in the future because <laughs> I think that's, that's great. And, and yeah, if, if you can't sit down and have a beer with someone or a cocktail you know, they might not be the people you want to work with or represent as clients. I mean, you want to, you know, and I think, you know, us as, as in general, especially the, the members in our alliance, like there's a lot of talk about finding the right fit for clients. Um, and, you know, you want to choose the best fit, not only for you as, you know, representing them, but you want to be successful for your clients as well. And so you don't want to take on an engagement necessarily that you are no is not going to, you know, be successful for your client and yourself. Um, you know, you want to be able to say no to those opportunities and find, find deals and opportunities that, you know, are slam, you know, are good fits. And so kind of talk about that a little bit. Like, how do you, you know, talk about finding the right fit for your, 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 your team, but also clients, It's this kind of similar?
1: Yeah, no, it's a really good question. Cause I mean, we have this, this conversation around our leadership table all the time. And, Um, we, we've been, we've been very intentional about who we connect with out in the community. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes you invest effort and energy into, you know, a group of bankers, wealth advisors, lawyers, accountants, and, you know, there's just not good alignment or, you know, the opportunities don't present themselves and you got to pivot. And so since the beginning, you know, my personal philosophy was, you know, have eight folks COIs on my list. I am investing in the depth of that relationship. I'm ensuring that I can help them. I understand what they're going through and, and they can also provide me with some opportunity to help their clients and add value. And I think it's that attitude. That's very important. And you have to understand it's not, it's not going to be overnight. Um, I think too, you know, what's really important is you need a brand and you need to get the brand out there, but people need to know who's behind the brand in our business. You know selling a selling a company is, is one of the biggest decisions someone will make and if they don't feel that you're you know integral if they don't feel like they can trust you and you can't build rapport with them it will be really really difficult um to close the deal and what i mean by that nick is um if you know you're the business owner you're the seller and i'm advising you and um You know you also have some advice from a couple other advisors and i'm the m a guy but someone's chirping in your ear about hey you should be doing things a little bit differently maybe the valuation doesn't make sense um who are you going to listen to it's going to be the person you have the most rapport with the person you respect the most right and we find that deals typically break apart because we haven't had um we haven't really evolved that relationship with the seller as we should and And we gotta make sure that, you know, they see the process that we follow. We have a 90 to 95% success rate. If we follow that journey and we execute, there's no reason why we can't complete it. But if we get derailed because they don't trust us, we haven't done our job building a relationship. So I would say, you know, at the end of the day, it's about the relationship. And if we're taking on clients who don't trust us or are gonna want to run the process or want Uncle Bob, the attorney, you know, to make all the calls, it's probably not going to be the right fit. So we want to make sure that we're, we're fully aligned in terms of how the process works. We want to make sure that it is collaborative, but we do have a process, a secret sauce that is effective. Um, and if there's mutual trust and respect, we'll get to the finish line. If you don't have that, when the heat gets amped up and deals start coming in, it just turns to chaos. And, and you know, you can't take the emotion out of it. So that trust factor has to be there. And yeah. we, want, we want the younger folks early on in their career to understand this. It's about the relationship. And, and that also goes back to COIs. That COI has to look at us and say, listen, if my grandmother is selling her business, I want Jim to be the guy that does it because we really believe in what he does. And if you're not that person, it, it's gonna be a, a challenge for you uh, to continue to have a business in five years.
0: You know, yeah, it brings up a lot of thoughts, but I think the one I want to hit on is inevitably people do business with people and you got to, like you said, trust each other. You got to have a good reputation. You know, your brand um, is, you know, for Portage is important, but you also have your own personal brand and that is ever evolving and happening organically and intentionally. I know you do a good job of that, but but when it comes down to it, People do business with people. They don't do businesses with, you know, brands and companies, right? Like this, the people within those companies that they do business with. And so I think it's important, you know, said networking and getting yourself out there as a young professional, making sure you're creating those connections. You know, going out golfing and taking, you know, clients out or you're joining a squash club or, you know, things like that are ways you can go out there and network and get yourself out there. And when the time comes, you know, hopefully you've done enough work to get, you know, gain that trust. And then they'll reach out to you when the time is right for them and hopefully represent them to sell the company. But my point being is, it's important to have those people connections because people do business with people.
1: I think you're hundred percent right. And I, think, I I think what I realized too, is I had a network coming out of the accounting firm, but I had to create a different network that made sense for the business that we do. And there were some folks that I thought would be a great partner. It didn't work out. And so you've got to reevaluate your relationships and where you're spending your time. And, um, it, it also just takes time, right? Like you can't develop a relationship overnight with, with, you know, a significant other and be married in a month. Like it's, it's going to take time for you to really have a bit of a track record and some opportunity to get to know one another and do business together before you're going to land the big fish. And I, I can tell you, it took us a couple of years. Um, before we landed a really big fish. Our goal was to move up market, Um, but before you move up market, you got to prove that you're capable, and that's just the world we live in. Um, And and so I think you have to also be patient. You also have to be aware of, of, you know, where you're at, um, you know, in that that business cycle. Um, and, And what I'll say too is that's where, you know, a group of Cornerstone Advisors, you know are, are really valuable because you can have that conversation with someone who's been through this before you can sit down and say listen when you started out you know how long did it take before deal flow was you know coming in consistently and how long did it take to build that coi network and do i have the right people that i'm really spending time with do you get good leads from wealth advisors like it's all of those things that you need to be thinking about and if you can fast track to a good strategic plan and execute Um, you just move forward much, much quicker. And I think we were fortunate in that, you know, I had some good guidance from the cornerstone folks and, you know, you can sit down with them and say, Hey, listen, I'm thinking of raising my prices. You know, what are some of the things I need to be thinking about? Well, it, it helps when you have, you know, over 20, some people you can chat to about this. And at the end of the conversation, you've got a game plan. If it's just me on my own, I'm taking some educated guesses I may or may not be going down the right path, right? So it's a lot of those decision-making um, you know, opportunities where you know talking to other people who really get it and have been there before, it's just, it's so invaluable.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I gotta imagine a group like that comes even more into play when you're taking risks of you know, reinvesting your capital into your company and you, know, you don't know what the future holds and you're kind of newer to this as a firm owner, and, you know, leaning on them, I would imagine, was pretty, you know, helpful and beneficial, but probably, you know, I don't wanna speak for you, but probably gave you a little bit more, I guess, peace of mind that what you're doing is the, is the correct thing to do and the right thing for you and your company.
1: There's no doubt about it. And, and a, a, another key advantage too, um, for, for myself and other Cornerstone members was, you know, when, when the pandemic hit us, right? There is so much uncertainty and you don't know if you should move right or left or, you know, do you do you reduce your workforce? Is there more opportunity, less opportunity? Well, now you've got a group of people who are grounded, who are saying, listen, this is what we're seeing. This is this is what we anticipate. You guys brought on some really good speakers who could talk about the economy and and they had a forecast as to what they projected. Right. And. It's having that Intel that will help you make a good educated decision. And you also have other experienced people who said, listen, we went through something similar before. Here's how it played out. Here's how it affected our industry. So this is what we need to think about. Um, And interestingly, there's numerous members that had record years, you know, in the, in the pandemic. And I think that's because they captured the opportunity versus sitting on their hands. And we, we were no different during the pandemic, Nick, as you know, we decided to put our foot on the gas pedal, do more marketing. Um, we were hopeful that our competitors were complacent, and we decided to educate business owners and tell them about what we're seeing. And we were able to build, you know, a nice little pipeline of individuals that said, hey, I heard your podcast on, you know, what's going on in the economy. I'd love yeah, to talk yeah. to you about selling my business. And, you know, we turned that um, unfortunate Uh, Time frame into an opportunity. And that's because, you know, we had good discussions at Cornerstone and we talked about, you know, what different people are doing, but without those discussions, you know, I may have been like my competitor where I'm sitting with my hands and saying, let's wait for this to pass and then we can make a decision. Right. So um, you you can see that obviously having the voice of reason and the voice in numbers is really important.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember going through that and you know, and seeing what everyone was doing. And I, I, I thought I would, I would echo the same thing. You, you know, found comfort in what others were doing or not doing, you know, and you could feel good about the path that you're taking based on what others are doing and, and, and things like that. Um, you know, and one thing we do is is we create, you know, mastermind discussions on a regular basis. And, um, you know, you have some younger talent in your, in your group and I know, continuing education is very important to you. I think it's, you know, one of your main objectives in, you know, retaining these, these, these great people. Um, you know, what is your plan and focus as far as educating, you know, the people that come into your firm and making sure they understand the business and how you guys do things and how to work with clients and, you know, and everything that comes with that?
1: Yeah, I'm a firm believer, as you know, in in education. I, I think a lot of folks, when they do come to us, you know, their formal education, you know, has already taken place. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and what we're really trying to do is is expose them to how M&A is done in the lower mid market, and I think. I think they hear my voice chirping in their ear quite a bit, but sometimes what what we find more relevant is, is them talking to people who are doing the same things that they're working on, right? Um, I remember when, when I was an analyst early on working for a large company, I was in finance, and I learned so much by talking to the person beside me who was, you know, learning to, who was much more advanced in Excel than I was, and we would share little tips and tricks, right? And, you know, the environment's a little different in that we're only in the office twice a week. So, so, you know, what we're trying to do is ensure that they're connecting with other analysts, with other professionals, other M&A folks who are going through similar uh, learning experiences. So that's the beauty, I think, of having the mastermind and having, you know, uh, folks connect at different levels. I know the principal meetings are important for me, but there's also valuation meetings. And I know our valuation folks get plugged in. And they get to talk about, you know, their particular specialization. I know the analysts also have a call. And this is typically where, you know, they get to sit down and say, hey, listen, like, what are you guys seeing? Um, what, what are some of the challenges you're seeing on your end with respect to building out a sim or a teaser? And they're talking about the stuff that I, necessar- I I don't necessarily can add much value to at this point in my career. You know, I have some ideas, but these kids are much more advanced. And I think, I think it's just... It's those, those pieces, those connections that are really important. And if they can, if they can realize that there are other people around the world doing what they're doing and, and they can brainstorm together and find better ways of doing things, they're going to feel like, A, they've added value to the firm, they've added value to the clients, uh, and B, you know, they're being challenged in the workplace. If they're just copying and duplicating everything we've done. We're not really changing it. it it's almost like being in a manufacturing facility where you take widget a you, you put it on the press and out comes b right and we know we know this generation needs to be challenged especially folks in our space they need challenge they're ambitious and they need to connect so if we're not giving them uh, those opportunities they're going to go elsewhere and you know every every m a firm that's part of cornerstone has youth They have individuals who are doing what we do. So I think it would be unfortunate if we didn't connect them. So I would say that's one of the things that I get really good feedback. They get super excited too when they get to connect with someone, you know, outside the region.
0: Yep, absolutely. Could not agree with you more. And that's why we created Cornerstone International Alliance Alliance, is to connect people who do the same, similar things and, and they can learn from each other and we can help guide that, that learning path. So.
1: Um, Just on that point, I mean, I don't, I don't want to paint an entirely ro- rosy picture in terms of the M&A space. I mean, there's ups and downs. There's, there's challenges that I face. There's challenges that everyone will face. I was talking to another Cornerstone member yesterday, and we have, we have an hourly call booked where we can talk about, you know, certain intel more specific to our country. And, um, you know, they shared with me that they had a very challenging year. Um, the previous year and it was really difficult right um, there were things that were just out of their control and in business was tough and you know we we also found the beginning of this year to be very challenging right and we can sit down and we can talk about those things well what specifically you know was creating those challenges in your mind what did you do to overcome them you know how can we support you you know um those things are really important to as a business owner. It's not always perfect and you're always going to grow and it's going to be perfect. You know, the growth, the growth does go up and down to a certain extent. And it's that support that becomes really valuable. Um, I know we've, we've hit points in time, like I said, earlier in the year where things are really slow. And we were wondering, listen, are, is our process flawed? You know, are we doing something um, different than we did before? What are other people doing? Um, and sometimes you just need that reassurance that, hey, you've got a good game plan. There are some things out of your control. You might be able to make a couple tweaks, but it is what it is. And That support is really valuable. And even at the analyst level, what I'll say is, um, you know, especially for them, they're a little bit newer to the space. You know, if, if there's setbacks, maybe a buyer leaves a deal or, you know, something blows up. They can connect with other folks who are in similar situations and talk about it. And, and you know, it's good for mental health and it also helps them become aware that other people are dealing with this. And having that support is half the battle. It it is a tough, it's a tough game we play
0: and having the support is is really important. Yeah. And the whole process, like you said, there's a lot of ups and lots of downs, a lot of highs, some lows, Um, but, you know, and, and when it comes to having those people that can, like you said, the mental health component, even if it's just. Just venting a little bit like this is going on and you know it's just so invaluable in my opinion to have someone you can just reach out to and and commiserate a little bit on on those ups and those downs and and things like that and so I mean truly you and your firms and all of us um, together are really what makes this alliance amazing um, it is is based on the people that we have and I think we have an amazing group uh, Jim you and your team included so thank you so much for continuing to be. Active participants in our alliance, and thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I I learned a lot from you. Hopefully, others who who may be in your in your in your same position, or you know, in the same position you were five years ago, thinking, "Am I crazy to do this?" Um, and then you know, oh, "Am I crazy to reinvest into my firm?" And I think, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But I I would imagine uh, if you go back and do do it again, you'd probably do you know the same thing and cause you guys have a very great team. Your culture is amazing. Um, I love working with all your, your, your teammates and and people at Portage and, um, you guys are doing it the right way, in my opinion, and you guys are very successful. So kudos to you and taking those leaps of faith and, um, you know, taking, uh, you know, the advice of your mentors and others that you talk to to give you that, you know, that, 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 um, that, that uh, positiveness of uh, what I'm doing is right. And so kudos to you. Great job. Um, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Um, I know you started your own podcast recently, and I would recommend everybody go check it out. Um, where can people listening here find uh, find more listening to your podcast? Hmm.
1: If, if folks go to our website, uh, portagemaadvisory.com, um, all of our podcasts are lift, listed on our site in various formats. They can definitely uh, listen to them there. And I, I do want to thank you, Nick, for having me. I I genuinely um, believe that Cornerstone was was one of the big accelerants that helped us get to where we are today. And and you know I I, w- I would never step out of the group because I feel like I'd be driving blind. I look mm-hmm. forward to the in person meetings. I I enjoy the guests that you guys bring on board and. You know, without without this group, we wouldn't be what we are today. So thank you for having us.
0: Appreciate it. Well, we're very grateful for you, and I appreciate you saying that. It means a lot to me and us. And um, we are better because of Portage and you. Um, so thank you for joining us. Um, that's all we have for this episode of the M and A Mastermind Podcast. One thing that would help out Jim and myself a lot is to like, share, and comment uh, this episode. Send it over to anyone who you think might benefit from listening to our conversation today and, um, go to our website, cornerstoneia.com slash podcast. That's where you can find all of our episodes as well. Um, and just keep, keep driving those connections that you have and lean on, lean on those people and, um, know that they're with you and, and in your corner and, and you guys will do great things when you have those great connections and that good circle of people around you until next time. Thank you.